Hello and welcome to Do You Even Science, a podcast where we discuss what's happening in Canadian science and policy and everything in between. We're your hosts. I'm Dina Hamza. My co-host here is Simon Landry. Hi, Simon. Hi, Dina. How's How it going? You? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Just living that unemployed life. <laughs> you know what today is, Simon? Um, I don't know. What Our 10th episode. So we're celebrating this milestone. Guess with what? Talking about our failures in science. <laughs> yes. And how yes. we've grown from them. So exactly. before going into that, Simon, as you mentioned, you're living the unemployed life. Mm-hmm. Mm, what's going on with that? Um, so things are, I don't, honestly, it's hard. Yeah. It's really, it's not a good time to be unemployed. Yeah. Um, what's the job so search like? It's, it's challenging. So I don't know if, um, if you've ever encountered this, but you go online and you're looking for jobs and you find all of these positions and you're like, whoa, this would, it sounds cool. But as you start reading the descriptions, you're like, as a PhD person, I don't have these qualifications. Like I could probably do the job, yes. but if someone with experience in that field applies, they're, they're not going to pick me. Yes. I wouldn't pick myself, yes. you know? So that's that's something that I find very difficult where I in some ways I kind of have imposter syndrome where what's like what's the value of my PhD? But have you also experienced the opposite? So I don't know if you know this, Simon. I think we've talked about it before, but my contract mm -hmm. is up in February. So that's my postdoctoral fellowship. So looking for another position and what mm -hmm. I've come across are positions again that like I could do this, like maybe I could do this, mm -hmm. but it's not so much that if someone else in the field were to apply, they would take them over me. It's more so that I'm overqualified. So mm -hmm. what they're asking for is someone with a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, mm -hmm. not a PhD. Right. Right. Are you and are you looking next year to stay in academia? I would like to. Yeah. I like research. Right. I enjoy yeah. it. I enjoy that aspect. Huh. Would you would you ever work in kind of like uh, municipal research or sort of government? I have applied research? for government positions and mm -hmm. city of Edmonton positions, and I have right. never been called for an interview. Never, uh, never. And I'm that... talking about Simon, like, <laughs> like, no joke, uh -huh. 20 jobs. Wow. Like if you were to look at like jobs.ca, like your account with like the government of Alberta. Yeah. 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 There's like a lot of applications there and I have never been called. Oh, I wonder why. Do you think it's sometimes like academia, you know, in academia, in some cases, it's like they want a particular person to mm. have this position. So they'll like write the yeah. job description, make it really, really specific to your skills. So I have like this vision that that's what all those government jobs are. They already know. It's like somebody internal. They already know yeah. who's going to be hired, but they have to go through this political process of posting the advertisement and interviewing and so on. Yeah, one of the one of the the requirements is like must be named Carol. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> that's not me. Um, yeah, well, that's one of the things that I find really hard with this this whole job application process mm -hmm. is that 
I'll write a pretty solid cover letter, mm-hmm. send it off, and like I can see myself doing the the, the job, and then silence. I know, I know. It's, it's like, will they? They they don't tell you like, oh, we hired somebody. Yes. It's just like yes, it's just thanks. silence. Yes, mm-hmm, but you know, mm-hmm. um, my current mentor in my postdoctoral fellowship, when we were talking about, you know, that I've applied for these government jobs and I've never yeah. been called back. She would. She she had a similar experience. She's an associate professor right now in in family medicine. But she uh, she would call them, and she'd be like, really? "Can I have some feedback mm-hmm. on you know perhaps maybe it was my cover letter that was ineffective or right. is it you know some area of skill development or professional development that I need to work on?" So she would actually call them back and ask for feedback. I think that's important. Yeah. yeah. It's awkward. Yeah, I, that, I think it's a bit awkward to yeah, do, but yeah, I I don't know. I I guess I'm not brave enough, or I don't like. It's something that I don't do, and maybe I should start doing that. I think it's also because it's it's challenging to take. You don't know how the person is going to present that criticism. Mm-hmm. Like, is it going to be presented to you in a constructive way? Because essentially, what you're asking from them is to critique either your CV or your skills or your approach. And that puts you in a vulnerable position. And as humans, we don't like to be vulnerable. Yeah, that's true. But what positions are you looking for, Simon? Like, are you going to dive back into academia or like, what's going on here? Dina, glad you asked because (laughs) I just, I just so happen to have the list of jobs I've applied to. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. Okay. So I have applied. Well, this, I really hope that I hear back from this one. So okay. CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health yes. in Toronto, it, they the science are communications for... one, journalism. Uh no. Oh, never mind. No, I didn't see that one. Um, they they're looking for a bilingual knowledge broker, which I'm bilingual, and, and I'm you a knowledge are a broker. knowledge broker. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I feel like there can't be that many. It's like a. I, I feel like they made that for somebody, and then I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, I also am bilingual and knowledge broker." And they, they were made like, it "Oh, for shoot, you, Simon!" Exactly. They are looking so for you. I applied for that. I applied for um, a francophone engagement coordinator uh, job at ChemH. Basically, they want to get the francophone communities involved in the mental health. Yes. Uh, so you're coming like to my world. Yeah, yeah. Addiction maybe, and mental health. Uh, exactly. Maybe I could uh, I could get you a spot at ChemH. Ooh. <laughs> um, so that I applied for clinical information and communications manager. Huh. Um, I don't know. Bilingual policy analyst. Not feeling super confident about yes, that one, yeah. but I, you know, still tried. Um, psychology thesis advisor. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. I'm actually really excited. So about is that, that that sounds more like an academic position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's at the universe, the ooh, the <laughs> University of Guelph, uh, Humber College campus, I guess, and it's basically uh, to take um, psychology students who are doing their fourth year um, honors project, yes, and mm-hmm. to, to help them out and just kind of guide them through the process. Yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. I like mentoring students, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I also applied for um, at. Glendon College, so the York University's bilingual college, um, to teach. So you're you're going to go back to York? I, hey, you know what? 
wherever it's, the opportunity is. <laughs> wherever <laughs> I'm a I'm a loose cannon now. Like beggars about. can't be choosers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a loose cannon, do you know? Um, I applied for um, a remote senior medical writer job. Mm-hmm. Remote would be Not, cool. Yeah, it would be really cool. I feel like they're going to get a lot of applications, though. Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, because it's remote. Yeah. And I also applied for project manager for uh, for like a, a virtual care um, project at Baycrest, which is a, a university-linked hospital here in That Toronto. would be super cool. Yeah. So I mean, they're, they're like, all very interesting. They're all very interesting yeah. positions. But it's, it, you know, you just got to keep applying, Simon. You just got to, it's a numbers game. Yeah, it's really yeah, and and yeah, like what what I find that well, I realized yesterday actually um, that I need to transfer from my PhD to this process is having that structure, mm-hmm. that ability to to make a, to to create structure within your day independently, create that structure yes. um, to achieve your objectives and to just not completely lose your mind yeah happen, so what basically. if you're in a position like let's say it's the center for addiction and mental health let's say and mm-hmm. they're like mm-hmm. your deliverables are a b and c yes and you're gonna do them this way and like that's it that's like that's you have to do it that way how would you feel about yeah. that i don't know i because I, I think, think for I us would. as researchers, we want to create, yeah. like, we want to use our creativity. We want to explore. Right. We, you know, like, we want to have a, a bit of autonomy yeah. over the process, um, even mm-hmm. like outcomes. I mean, maybe for deliverables, you can get away with, um, or you can get over that there's a certain outcome that's needed mm-hmm. or expected, like a deliverable. But I think the process, we tend to want to be autonomous and creative and yeah yeah do you think part of that is because we think we're like smart people and like we know a bit better we've been told that we are experts <laughs> exactly in a particular field <laughs> yeah, that, you know like, that, no, i got this no but you know that term expert makes me feel very uncomfortable oh yeah like when somebody's like and dr hamza is an expert in youth addiction and mental health i'm like whoa whoa <laughs> Well, yeah. I, I, I'm I familiar lot, with the topic, but I'm yeah. not like an expert. Don't call Who, me that. <laughs> is it just because do you think when you'll be like old, I guess I'm not going to define old because maybe we have <laughs> mm. we have a, a age range of listeners um, when you're what you would consider old, you'll be like, now I'm an expert. Do you think it's an age thing? I don't know. I I think I see it like perhaps that that is the case, but at, like in this perspective, in, in my age right now, the stage that I'm at, I feel like there's the more you you're immersed in academia, the more you realize there's a lot of stuff you don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that information is constantly evolving, particularly in an area of addiction and mental health. I mean, it's it's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's where I feel like being called an expert. I feel uncomfortable with that term because things are I, are changing. Maybe there's something I don't know. I don't know. I think knowing that, like just having the 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 insight in knowing the things you don't know, yes. is a sign of being an expert. Oh, Simon. <laughs> yeah, I know all the things I don't know. <laughs> 
So do you think being an expert then is also having that vulnerability of admitting that you don't know everything? Yeah, I, I think, yes. Like yes. I see that more as like being like an academic. As an academic, I'm admitting that, yeah, I don't know everything. I know a mm -hmm. lot, but it's definitely not everything. And there are a lot of things that I don't know. But you know that you don't know. So it's the insight. Yes, it's the insight. I think it's the insight and the, like you, you might never call yourself an expert because you know there's a million things that you don't know, but you, this is gonna get so confusing, but you know you don't know because you know something super well because you are an expert. And so from somebody else's perspective, I see you what you're the, saying, and, Simon. You know, like you <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to bring you up. You articulated this actually quite well. Oh, thank you. So I guess, I guess I am an expert after all. Whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa! You you can't say you're an expert. <laughs> oh, everyone else can call me an expert except exactly. for me. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So um, I'm not an expert at finding a job yet. So Hopefully. what would you, what would you then, cause I know that there's like, it's, it's not a good feeling when you're, when you're looking mm -hmm. for a position and then you start to question what is the value, as you mentioned earlier of like, what's yeah. the value of my PhD and all of this, uh, specialized training, where do I fit in outside of academia? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, what advice would you give people at this point? People who are currently doing their PhD or people who are job hunting? Both. Both. Oh, um, for people who are job hunting, I, well, I mean, I don't have great is it, advice. But is it I'm like how you, like, is it how you take your skills? Like, let's say mm -hmm. on your CV, you have all these mm -hmm. specialized skills in, um, uh, neuroscience. And yeah. so is it that it, you pull out the skills, the transferable skills from your work in your cover letter? and almost yeah. write a almost like a position paper as to why you would yeah. be excellent for this position based on the skills that you have. So you almost have to bring out those skills to the lay public. What Yeah, they mean. so I think maybe and I don't know, like obviously we'll see if I get jobs. If I get it like depend <laughs> listen to this episode. Not jobs job. plural. Jobs. <laughs> So if you're listening to this and you're like, do I take Simon's advice? Listen to the next episode. And mm -hmm. if next episode I say I have a job, great. Take this advice. If I'm still looking two or three episodes down the line, then maybe ignore this. Just fast forward a few minutes. Um, <laughs> so what, what I do to write my cover, my cover letter is I take the job description and then I, I break it up in kind of small, small pieces. Yes. You know, because you just... And then those small pieces, I, I think, okay, these things I did while doing the PhD, these things I did while I was doing knowledge mobilization, these things start up work. And then I just basically say, I did this and I produced these things. So I want so somebody to give them to examples, like tangible exactly. examples. Of, exactly. So I think that's a really good piece of advice because often mm -hmm. we'll say things like, I'm good at project management. and yeah. But I think it's important to ground it into an actual experience that they can then look onto your CV and look yes. in more detail of the things that you've done. And to keep in mind too that if you say, I was, I don't know, the senior member of a large research lab. Right. 
someone who isn't in academia they wouldn't won't necessarily know what that know means, what that means. Mm-hmm. but so, if you say i so like if you term like, it like you yeah. are essentially the project manager exactly mm-hmm. exactly i i manage simultaneous um research projects mm-hmm. in human interactions or whatever like find the vocabulary of what you did in that field and just use that yeah i think that's it's 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 a different way of writing yes but i think it's more effective it's almost like finding equivalent terms exactly exactly i think that's really Um, good advice though simon because um i've come across some cover letters for individuals who have applied for positions and i've been on an interview committee um and they don't they don't pull out all those pieces for you. And it's not just that mm-hmm. you're you're not like as a as a lay person, for example, not understanding what happened in academia. This is my experiences were within academia, but it was just right. time. I didn't have the time to go through everyone's CV. So the first thing yeah. you look at is the cover letter. So pull those features out for me, then I'll look yeah. further. Exactly. And like make it so that I make it so that it's very much like, here's the job description. Yes. I'm going to address the job description. Yes. Like, this is what I want to do. Yes. So that, I think, um, kind of connected to that is the importance of networking. Mm-hmm. Go, like, I, I realized going to a lot of sort of tech events and stuff like yes. that, that when you meet people and talk to them, you're like, oh, geez, those things that you're doing, that that position has a different name. I could do that. Yes. And so I'm going to apply for those types of jobs. Mm-hmm. I do have a question um, for you, though, Simon, yes. for the positions that you've applied for. Um, mm-hmm. For the qualifications, yeah. are they looking for somebody with a PhD? Uh, rarely. That's Very what rarely. I found as well, is that it's rarely um, a position in which they're specifically looking for somebody with a PhD. What does that mean to you, though? Like, how do you feel about that applying for a position where they're looking for qualifications that aren't that level of training. I think, um, like, do you begin to question, yeah, like the amount so of I, investment in completing a PhD? I question if there's one thing that I question really, it's how, and I, I think we've talked about this is how we're not trained. Like the reality is that when you're doing a PhD, tenure track is the alternative stream. Yes. And so we're trained for something that we're probably not gonna get. Yes, exactly. And and like the universities don't sell, a, you know, universities, the people who give that certification or whatever, mm-hmm. don't really uh, tout the value mm-hmm. of the PhD to people who would then hire you. So it's. People don't ask for PhDs because they don't know mm-hmm. that they can. Like, what? Why would I ask for a PhD? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to get a, a nerd who doesn't know how to interact with. Or people. it's only just like you only know this one area. Mm-hmm. They're not mm-hmm. looking at all the skills that you've you've developed. Yeah. yeah. To be able to focus in this one area. Exactly. So a few of the positions I applied for are asking specifically for a PhD, but that's just because like the the psychology thesis right, advisor. Right. Yeah. You know, but that's that's think, like in in that's an academic yes position exactly. so I, I guess exactly I, I was just trying to see if your experiences were similar to mine because often when i have um, um applied for positions it's 
they're they're not looking for somebody with a PhD and they'll they'll put master's degree. So they'll write the qualifications yeah. and then it's like master's degree preferred, yeah. which means yeah. that they would hire someone that that doesn't have a master's degree. Yeah. So that actually that makes me think of of an interesting approach to that. If you think of your PhD as a period, let's say five years, how long was your PhD? Three years and three months. Three years? I mean, not that you're bragging, but mine was not five years. Not that I'm bragging. <laughs> kind of an expert. <laughs> um, so during, instead of approaching the PhD as like a thing that kind of you have and people should say, do you have a PhD? Maybe approach it kind of like, during my PhD, I was in, I took my my position in a certain community to get involved with outreach programs, get involved with this and that. Yeah. And like, that's the actual value. Those, those things that then you can say, oh, you're asking for somebody who has policy experience. Well, I was involved with a student group that whatever. Yes. Well, like, do you think, do you think it's also appropriate that a PhD is viewed as being a project manager? I think that's, it's because that's I think what would, you're doing. I think it has to be. I th I think it's like kind of arrogant almost to not think to to only think of PhDs as being like doctorates and and whatever to not think of ourselves as something more. Yes. Yeah. Something like more more like common, mm -hmm, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that kind of I think you learn very quickly when you're applying to jobs in in the real world is to let go of that kind of, I guess, arrogance. Like the title? Yeah, there's a certain arrogance to academia and there's like a weird hierarchy and it's like you kind of make it to the top. And I'm, I'm actually struggling with that. Like I made it to the top. I have my PhD. It's I like you should, finished... you should be able to find a job like. Yeah, bam. yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I got um, several grants throughout my career. I have 18 publications, which is like pretty good. Um, you know, I did well. Yes. And now I feel like I'm starting from scratch. Yes. And like that is very yes. difficult for me. And, and I think especially when we think of our work and we think of it on an effort level. So if mm -hmm. I put in this effort and I'm successful in my work, mm -hmm. I should have this position. But I think within academia, I mean, as, as the main focus, the positions just don't exist. But like mm -hmm. we mentioned in our other podcast, I think it was the one on imposter syndrome specifically. Mm -hmm. yeah. I remember that you, you had made the comment that it's like you should be able to get it. Like you should yeah. be lucky. So if you have like a mentor, it's like I made it and it was all hard work. So work mm -hmm. hard and you'll make it too. But a lot yeah, of exactly. us work hard and we don't make it. Yeah, well, because it's not. There's no, there aren't, the, the positions just don't exist. Yeah, the odds just aren't for you. Yeah. So, anyway, well, it's going, it's going well. D-Y-E-S <laughs> is rooting for you, Simon. Thank you, thank you. The right job uh, will find you. The stars, the universe yeah. will align. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's our superstitious nature right yeah. there. It's like, yes, we talk about science, but, but the universe is. But. <laughs> Everything but, will come together and align. All the forces. The, your aura is super strong right yeah. now, and I feel like good things are coming. I'm feeling the vibes. <laughs> we will send you positive vibes. So speaking of some of the challenges with unemployment and finding a job as a PhD or having mm -hmm. a PhD, 
that reminds me of you know our 10th episode special talk about failures huge success yeah oh. so yeah huge success <laughs> but we're we're gonna celebrate by talking about our failures and i have let's do it i have one for you simon that happened to me mm-hmm. recently by mm-hmm. recent i mean it was like last november um okay. but and i don't think i i mentioned this to you so we had met i think um a few weeks prior at the Canadian Science Policy Conference. Yes. That's where we had met. And I had two other conferences that same month. So in the month of November, I had three conferences. Wow. Uh, So in one of the conferences, it was the last one in Montreal. Mm -hmm. I was set to do an oral presentation about my work with the College of Family Physicians of Canada. And I always feel very... um, I feel a lot of pressure because I am representing the College of Family Physicians of Canada in their evaluation and subsequent justification of moving away from a time-based medical curriculum to one that's competency-based. Do you know what? What's the time-based? So time-based, it used to be like, you would complete two weeks in surgery and Mm. essentially it would be like, you've got the skills for it. Okay. Competency-based means that there is direct observation of you completing certain tasks and the achievement of those tasks before moving on to a new set of skills. Mm-hmm. So it's just ensuring that as, as physicians go through their program, they're truly competent in that area and also to provide them in family medicine specifically with diverse um, clinical domains, practice settings, so hospital, in clinic, in home care, uh, palliative care, and with certain po- and diverse populations. So vulnerable, marginalized individuals, uh, rural populations, inner city, that sort of thing. So it's it's mm-hmm. creating physicians that are comprehensive. So if anybody walks into their clinic, they know what to do. That seems like a good thing. Yeah, intuitive, right? We still yeah. gotta evaluate it. So. <laughs> I was at the North American Primary Care Research Group, which brings in everybody from North America and outside of North Mm -hmm. America. Pretty big conference. Yeah. And I'm walking over and it's I I think it was the second last day. And I was pretty bummed out that I would be presenting the second last day like that. That's harsh. I want to present like the first or second day, rip it off like a Band-Aid and enjoy the rest of the conference. You're an expert. You should be put whoa, first. Whoa, whoa, My imposter <laughs> syndrome comes out when people call me an expert. So I'm walking into this room and I'm like, wait a minute. Because I looked in the schedule, you know, where, where I'm supposed to be yeah. presenting. I'm like, wow, this is a really large room with all of these boards on wheels. This looks like it's for a poster presentation. Where am I supposed oh. to present? Uh-huh. So then I go down to the... Um, main registration area and Mm -hmm. uh i go to the woman and i'm like and her her name's priscilla she's she's like the lead from the states and i'm like priscilla there's a mistake in this this guide the program guide here it's showing that i'm in a room where people have posters and i'm set to do an oral presentation because Uh i essentially never submit for a poster presentation I only submit for oral presentations. So she looks at me, she looks at at the the, uh, uh, guide and in a Southern accent tells me, bless your heart, 
which apparently is like not what it sounds like. And she's like, you're supposed to be doing a poster presentation. And, and like we're talking like five minutes before I'm set to like present oh. this oral presentation. So I'm there like with my laptop, with my PowerPoint, no poster. Right, no exactly. No poster. So I go to my mentor, who's like director of education of CFPC, and I'm like, What's CFPC? College of Family Physicians of Canada. Oh. And I'm like, and I'm like totally embarrassed, right? Like this has uh -huh. never happened to me. Ne like never happened to me. Uh huh. So I go to her and I'm like, I I'm supposed to be doing a poster presentation, not an oral presentation. She's like, what? So we go up to my space, which it's just a board, right? Like, what am I going to do? So I'm like, yeah, we're yeah, panicking. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm emailing my mentor in Edmonton and I'm like, or texting her actually. I'm like, can you believe what's just happened to me? And she's like, don't worry about it. This has happened to like everybody. I bet Ivy's experienced this. Just calm it down. Calm it down. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> I'm freaking out. <laughs> so uh, they're like, okay, well, you know, they're advising me. They're like, go print off your slides and then just stick up the slides Yes. as like individual yeah. pieces of paper on on your board but people are coming around and people are really interested in canada and competency-based uh, medical education because we're one of the uh -huh. leaders so i'm getting like there's people coming around already from the states so this is this is like not good for me yeah so i literally stole a cocktail table like it's a table that they had set up in the the kind of foyer area of this presentation room uh -huh. it's like a high table it's supposed to be for like food and drink i stole yeah. it like literally in front of all of these people i am lifting this huge table <laughs> and like walking across the hall in my stilettos to my board i put my laptop down and i was like this is what it's gonna be they're just gonna have an individualized oral presentation yeah. <laughs> But like, this is happening. But here's the kicker. Mm -hmm. I got some people from the States and they were like, oh, wow, this is really innovative. So you've decided to use technology to do your poster that's presentation. So and I'm like, that's yes, so that's exactly exactly <laughs> you get what, what I did. For. And then I would go to the other people in this area and I'd be like, guys, I didn't know I was supposed to do a poster presentation. So like. <laughs> Don't be fooled. This is how yeah. you fix the situation. <laughs> yeah. So what did you learn from that? What's how? You know what? Thinking on the spot and just there you go. working within the situation. Like, don't let mm -hmm. it get you down. But like, there was no way that I would have had enough time to print of off so. the slides. And I'm set to present in like five minutes. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. Huh. So that was a, a pretty recent little little snafu over there yeah that was that was my epic fail at a conference <laughs> is that your you've you've had bigger failures than that though right that's well, your biggest no recent <laughs> no like i've, <laughs> no, I've had some pretty big fails so i i experienced something similar um at a conference as well this was at a clinical conference after my master's yeah and um I was like, I was pretty over the whole thing, the whole like science thing, yeah. the whole doing a master's what stage, thing. What stage were you at? Master's? Master's, okay. yeah. And this was in May. 
uh, early May. And then like a few days later, I was going to Turkey for a conference. And I, yeah, it was pretty great. Um, And I had totally checked out. Like I was just not invested. Were you presenting? I was, I was. So my, uh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) to, to a room full of maybe like 100, 150 clinicians. Yeah. And I did not care. Yeah. And so I stand in front of them, start doing my talk, and then I like go off script and kind of like ramble a little bit. I'm wearing like shorts and kind of this like plaid shirt thing. Like I, it's clear that I don't care. And <sighs> it like, <laughs> I know, I know. And it went like, okay. Um, but the thing is in that room uh, were some people from, my university from my department uh, and they saw me but did you yeah. see did you know that they were there well if i had thought about it for like two seconds i would have realized they'd be there but i didn't really know yeah. i had lunch with them earlier so obviously they were gonna be there Oh, simon <laughs> i know i know i know um and so for this was like 2012 2013 and so for the next four or five years i had this reputation of someone who did not take things seriously yeah. kind of follow me around yes um yeah that i hope i kind of how did you now... how like did you con like deliberately work toward changing that image of yourself yes yeah <laughs> yes yeah. but the thing that i learned from that and i think this is the important part of of this whole little segment of failures is that it's not really failure if you like learn something from it right that's true yeah and and I learned to just take stuff seriously. Like if there's an audience, take it seriously. Respect their time. Yes. And um yeah. But you know what's funny is that you're saying like failure can be a good thing if you learn from it and so on. I was talking to a colleague and I was like, So, you know, I'm I'm doing this podcast and we're talking about our failures and I was just curious about, you know, what your experiences were and they did not take that lightly they were telling me like they've never failed and i was like so like you've never had any negative experiences going through the process of becoming an academic and this is a you know this is a professor uh-huh. and they were like don't call it a failure it's a challenge not a failure i've never failed so i, th- I found yeah. that really interesting you heard it here first university of alberta no failures <laughs> No failures, only champs here. Yeah. City of champions. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's an interesting way to look at it. I think it takes a, I don't know. I think it is a failure up to a certain point. Well, so like, here's the other thing too, Simon, is I was reading this article, which we'll, we'll include in, in the summary in, in our podcast. But mm-hmm. someone who's in academia was interviewed and they had said that it's not just about vulnerability. It's that it's mm. it's when you talk about failure often that person is coming from a place of privilege and what Mm -hmm. he was referring to was something called the failure cv have you heard of that before i have not there was some some professor had i think an assistant professor i don't recall the position but it's somebody with a phd had released a cv and rather than it showing all of the successful grants and the published papers and Mm -hmm. um Uh, the positions that they've had it's all the positions they were rejected for Mm. all of their rejected papers lost like or 
not lost funding, but funding that they didn't acquire. So they had published that. And so this individual that was interviewed had said, but if you really look at this person, this is a white middle-aged male who is coming from a place of privilege. And someone else who perhaps is not coming from a place of privilege would find Mm -hmm. it challenging to share those failures because that may be used against them. What are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It, it, I, uh, listeners who may not know, I am a white man. <laughs> and I encountered something similar where during a master's thesis, I, in my acknowledgments, I was saying that um, I, I was glad that my co-supervisor took me on because I hadn't done great yes. in undergrad. And like I was kind of the underdog. And I was acknowledging that and thanking him for taking the risk. Yes. And he was like, no, do not put that out there. Yeah. It's like, that's out there forever. forever. You don't... Exactly, exactly. So I don't know if it's more, more of kind of a privilege thing or if it's just a mentality thing. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I don't think that I, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> I'm an Egyptian female woman. And uh, I don't consider myself as coming from a place of privilege. Isn't privilege like a North American thing? I, I like, isn't so. it like a, I, like you'd be like, you're coming from a place of privilege, white, middle-aged man. Isn't that usually the criteria? Yeah, yeah I feel like it's definitely, <laughs> yeah. I feel like the, the privileged conversation is very uh, North American centric. Um, as a person of privilege, I can, I can definitely say that. Um, so yeah, I don't, don't really, I don't, yeah. I don't mind sharing my failures. Like, I don't have a problem with yeah. that, Simon, to prove that point. <laughs> yes. For our 10th yes. episode, this milestone yes. uh-huh. deserves this failure to be heard. Go for it. I failed chemistry, organic chemistry in university. Ooh. Failed it. Failed it. So there's more to this story, Simon. So... I probably attended maybe two or three classes and I was like, (laughs) forget this because my brain is not understanding what is on the board. And Uh I think, so there were a couple of things that happened um, in high school for me and junior Mm -hmm. high. Junior high particularly, my dad passed away when I was in grade seven. And I don't think that it fully hit me until middle of high school and undergrad. Mm. So I found that I was like checking out a lot during that time and um, particularly in things that I found were, were difficult. I just, it, it's interesting. I was just like, you know what? I'm not good at this. It's like that failure mentality. It's like, I'm not good at this, right. so I'm not even going to try. Right, right. Now, what's interesting is that when I entered psychiatry and as a graduate student, I had to take... Um, courses mandatory courses that were uh-huh. on the biochemistry of drug metabolism uh-oh yes <laughs> and who was i up against honors neuroscience students so i was like oh, let's no. bring it <laughs> and i actually did really well and really enjoyed it so huh. maybe it was just like a period of time where i was just like oh i checking out i don't understand this but i did fail it like i failed it f for fail. Wow. Well, I, I think in my OCHEM, I got, I don't know, like 53 or something. 
I also, I came close. It came, I came definitely close. failed the he first midterm. Close. Yeah. Yeah. And my, so what else? I fail, I almost failed. I don't know if we talked about this before, but um, psych stats. No so, way. Like, are you good at stats? Would you con- consider yourself good at statistics? Now? Yes. <laughs> um, I think or, I... Or, or do you like know enough? I know enough to know that I'm not a stats expert. Yes. But I can I can definitely do I can stats. like manage. Yes. Yeah, I can do yeah. stats. Yeah, I wouldn't consider myself a stats expert either. I like to play around with stats yeah. and like learn more, but I'm definitely not a statistician. Yeah, no, and it's like that's kind of I think that ties back to what we were talking about with the the term expert. Like I know I've met stats experts. Yes. I know what those are. Yes. I think somebody who has never done stats would probably speak with with either one of us and think that we're we're stats experts. But yes, like, I see what we you're know saying. No, we're not. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so psych stats, I passed with, and this this class didn't have any actual stats. It was all about understanding the concepts and like the way it was like okay, a very. Okay, but, but Simon, don't you find that a yeah. lot of that background information, like the theory of of statistics and so on? Uh huh. It's much different than when you're like, I almost wanted people to be like, when you have this kind of data, run yeah. this test. Like a much yeah. more practical, I'm I'm a pragmatic um, researcher, like as a mixed methodologist. So I mm-hmm. found a lot of that underlying theory and so on to be, at the time, very complex for me to understand. Yes. It was like, just yeah. tell me what to do. Yeah, exactly. And I looking back i like it i like the idea of like well these numbers interact in these certain like it's very interesting yeah it's like cool by the time i just didn't get it and like i didn't even you know it didn't make sense to me because i never played with numbers yes yeah but did you do like the give up as well like it's just kind of like i'm not going to get this anyway or how did you or did you actually put in a lot of effort well, I didn't know how to put in a lot of effort so i'm sure right because you didn't know how to study because sign (laughs) in here the expert just like flew through high school without studying. I'm a mediocre smarty pants. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I passed psych stats uh, with 51. And I got 50 probably because the the prof just had pity on me and, and I don't know, give me 50. And I had 1% because I participated, it, participated in uh, a study. And oh, you would get like oh yeah, 1%. I remember those. Yeah, I remember yeah. those psych courses. They weren't stats, but it was like psych 104 and psych 105, and you had to go and participate in all these different studies. But some of uh-huh. them were awesome because they would give you they they'd compensate you with like money. Oh, like go and they'd give you ten bucks. And then oh, there's would... researchers like us who are like any studies that are on college students put it in the inclu- exclusion criteria. Do not look at those studies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're all garbage. You're like, wrong population. <laughs> oh, maybe we could talk about that in a later episode. Yeah. And that's a very interesting, I think that's an interesting topic. Um, why, what is science? And turns out it's done on a bunch of white college kids. Yeah. so like what does that mean um so when we were um prepping for this episode i sent a message to good friend of mine dr uh dom vuvan who is an assistant i i just call her dom her name is dominique um she's an assistant professor at skidmore college which is a private independent liberal art college in saratoga springs springs 
uh, New York, and she sent us her failures that I think is really interesting, and I'm looking forward to uh, to listening to it. Okay, let's play it. My biggest academic failure? Well, I received my PhD in 2012, and then I was a postdoc for three and a half years, and now it's 2018, I'm entering my third year on the tenure track, and I still haven't published any of my dissertation. This probably sounds impossible, and in some ways I'm a fringe case, even given that landing on the tenure track at all is a huge win over probability. I was lucky enough to publish a number of other projects when I was in grad school, and I had a productive postdoc, so... What happened to my dissertation on statistical learning? Um, 9 out of 10 of my experiments were failures to replicate previous studies, or they produced null results. I learned a lot from this experience, both scientifically and in more practical senses. It gave me first-hand experience with the file drawer problem, right? Like, what do you do with experiments that don't work out? It made me invested in the replication crisis that was beginning to brew in social psych in a way that a lot of my other cognitive neuroscience-trained colleagues were not. And within my small subfield of music cognition, um, I've definitely been an early adopter and advocate for open science practices like pre-registration and data sharing, things that I thought would have helped me out a lot as I was working through my dissertation. And outside of this more sort of theoretical high-minded stuff, I think this experience also taught me about the harsh practicalities of staying alive in this business. You gotta publish, right? So even though statistical learning work is a topic that I continue to be intellectually fascinated by, I really turned my research program away from it because it feels high risk. I spend a lot more time on experiments that feel certain will yield publishable results. I've learned to design my experiments to be more confirmatory rather than exploratory to avoid the situation of that exploration yielding nothing. And that said, I've started to return to my statistical learning work more recently, but this time it's in collaboration with other folks. I'm hoping that the multiple perspectives and the pooling of multiple people's expertise will result in better outcomes this time around. Although maybe that's not so wise. So I guess I don't know whether I've learned my lesson or not. Uh, you can check back with me in five years and I'll let you know. I think that is a very interesting situation to find yourself in. Um, did you publish during your PhD? Uh, during my, my PhD in the first year, I published two papers. Okay. So, yes. but, but that's rare. Um, from what I know from, from the other individuals who were um, in the program with me that were doing their PhD, they actually came out of their program with, with one paper and it was at the end. Out of their PhD? Out of their PhD. They had okay. only published one paper. Um, for me, I'm still publishing, so I am a year and a half out from mm. completing my PhD. Um, right. And I'm still publishing. And for my dissertation, I think I have eight papers out of it. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, I, I think I have... My dissertation, I got three publications, and I've got like a bunch kind of just around. But the, this idea of not replicating papers and not getting them published yeah. like but replication I, is a huge issue it is it is right so a lot and of people and that's the yeah. debate of your study design so if you don't have a randomized mm. control trial but then the argument is it's not so much study design the proof is in replication yeah but at the and same like, time so i i have a a colleague who teaches statistics in psychology oh, a stats expert and uh he was telling me that it's it's often difficult to apply for funding for a mm -hmm. study to replicate a pre-existing study right right so of the course, system it's... itself doesn't really help us in in solving this replication problem yeah no absolutely 
or or like how her data she was saying that her data was meaningless or or the data didn't have any findings and then what do you come out with that and it's true she yeah. she did mention that that's an interesting finding there are learnings from that but when we look at it even when she was talking about running replication studies mm-hmm. how are you a popular person when you're taking somebody's study and then you're like mm, guess what your awesome finding couldn't replicate it like oh it's, yeah that's right that's like true. it's so how are you so i think also and this is this is a thing that she touched on and i've experienced it as well in which it's almost almost this this political dance in academia and in what you research what you what you end up publishing and i think that's not advantageous to us as researchers as being open and and how she said she's much more confirmatory rather than Mm -hmm. looking at something that's exploratory and i've always viewed my role as a researcher to explore to find out more information to know more about a certain topic but even in my field, I found that, you know, if I'm if I'm saying, well, I want to take a look at the curriculum, like what are people actually learning to be physicians? That's, you know, walking a fine line. And I think there is yeah. there is like a political dance with that. Yeah. And that's that's something that maybe we can we can talk about in a later episode, this idea that if I find something first, it's your job to disprove me. Yes. And I might have done junk science. Yes. You can't replicate it. What What is it that you are doing wrong to not replicate my findings? Yes. Yeah. And the and in in her case, the the cool thing is that, like, I guess, on paper, you'd think, well, you didn't publish from your PhD. You're not going to go anywhere. And she but became she an assistant it. professor. Yeah. And I think, and yeah. she's and and she's even saying that it's like, against all these odds. She, yeah. So so, what is it? What are the features? Because it seems like it seems like there's an alignment of the stars. Simon. Oh, her aura! <laughs> it must be her aura. <laughs> there, but it, but it seems like there needs to be an alignment of of things. So mm-hmm. there needs to be that there's a position that's available that's specific to your role. Yeah. Was she originally in Canada? Uh, I think actually she did her PhD or. She's from Calgary, I want to say. I, I think she's from Calgary, did her PhD at U of T, her postdoc at University of Montreal, and now she's working. So do you um, think perhaps it's more. that as academics, maybe we're not as willing to move out of our current academic institution? Because she's currently oh. in New York. Yeah. So maybe there are opportunities yeah. elsewhere but we have to be like and, and you have to think like are you willing to go to a different city a different country yeah. and there yeah. ha- have been many people that i know of personally that when they decided to move and we're talking about like to another country they mm-hmm. found the positions that they wanted straight out of a phd straight yeah. out of a phd yeah. they got an assistant professor tenure track position wow well in in her case too like she her postdoc like she she is an expert in what she does and she did do her postdoc with someone who's like very well renowned renowned in 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 her field and she's like she knows what she's doing yeah you know like dom is really on top of her stats game um and all that so can she give us like tutorials (laughs) can she come on the show can can i can i pose a question to her because i i recently 
heard a, a question or was posed a question from an academic who said, have you ever done any stats that's more sophisticated when I was talking about like non-parametric tests? Uh-huh. And so then I was like, actually, it's the distribution of the data that dictates yes. whether you do parametric mm-hmm. or non-parametric. It's not about exactly. sophistication. And I think that was not politically a good move on my part. <laughs> no? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think this this individual um, valued that response. I, I like sophisticated as like a slight burn. Like, do you do anything more sophisticated? Yeah, yeah. And so then I was, and I was kind of confused. I was like, and there was like a, a table full of people. So I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. whoa. And I was like, it's not about sophistication. It's about the distribution of the data. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't even need Dom to come on the show. We've got stats expert. <laughs> no. Dr. Dina. No, stop with the expert. <laughs> Um, is there is there a last uh, a last failure that you want to share before we uh, wrap this up? No, I think our that's last, I think that's good time, enough for now. Episode? Okay, I don't want right. to sabotage my career. So like <laughs> I I don't think I've ever told anyone that I failed chemistry except for my mom. Well, now everybody knows. Yep. Uh, um, so I'm gonna because I'm I guess leaving academia. It seems like unless I get one of those uh, teaching jobs, um, I'm gonna share a last one. And it's that I tested. So when I was testing, um, we had this like really elaborate bunch of little devices that were plugged to each other. And so like this apparatus for for testing what? Testing. So it was to test how sound and touch work together. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so like basically they were the participants had headphones on. They had their finger on little things that vibrated Mm -hmm. and that sound came from a laptop but it went through like several kind of little mixers like little boxes that would split the sound and i forget exactly what happened but one of the several cables that were connecting each other were not um plugged in the whole way oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah because i think what it was i had asked somebody like this thing doesn't seem to be working. Can you check it out? And then the oh. tech guy came in and he was like, oh, I, I like plugged it in for you oh, or something. Oh, so like you had and a it, witness. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say, I don't know if it was his fault or my fault. Anyway. But wait, how many, wait, matter. wait, 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 let's, let's, we need uh-huh. to, okay, we need okay. to dive into this. How many participants okay. did you test? like without actually okay so that's first question simon this is a bit of an interrogation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. number one how many participants with lost data i i feel like i can say with certainty yes i like that language six Six. and how many and like what was your usual n value um i don't know like 18 so six out of 18 that's like nearly 50 percent Yes. I the study was done had I not messed up. Oh, Simon. Okay. Number I know, 2. I number know. 2. Yeah. What was your lab protocol prior to beginning testing? What was the protocol? You know, kind of like getting out of it before getting in your car, you need to walk around it. Do you do that? No, I don't. But but <laughs> <laughs> that is not the topic of this podcast right now. It's not about it's not about cars. It's, it's, it's not, not about it's not about my car safety and my driving safety. Simon, what was the uh-huh. protocol? The protocol was the stuff should be connected the right way 
and no but like are you worked. supposed to check it well how do you do okay no, okay question number three <laughs> did somebody sabotage you yes yes it is it's probably a scientist that i was gonna try to replicate uh, i'm oh, just saying yeah yeah it's it's replication sabotage that's uh -huh. probably what it was uh-huh you know that stuff does happen in labs <laughs> Some Does it really? Sketchy things, that? yeah, yeah. Oh. Actually, uh, happened to my sister with oh. with with experiments and um, an apparatus that she had designed and created, and somebody going in and tinkering. That's funny. Wow. Huh. Well, learn learn something new every day. Just Sabotage. step on the people to make it to the top. Yeah, exactly. To get that tenure track job. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess like ultimately I what I learned from that is to um, make sure that my stuff is working. <laughs> For sure, <laughs> to like to double check things, yeah. To double check but and I, like, yeah. I think overall our, our failures, I don't mind calling them failures, but I think that they've um, helped me advance. And yeah, I don't sure. have such a um, negative response to failing. Mm -hmm. It's like I can I can handle yeah. it. I can yeah. be resilient toward it and pick myself up sooner and yeah. move forward and, and try again. So that's how and, I view it. And like you will never uh, not have a poster ready if you ask like you will check that. I'm sure. You know what, Simon? Even if that same scenario happens again, uh -huh. you got to like improvise right there on the spot. Yeah. Steal a table. Steal one carry it across the entire hall and just tell the people let them think that this was strategic they're like oh using you, technology they're like, wow you're the only one with an interactive presentation mm. and i'm like absolutely innovation right here so yeah like you learn how to keep your cool absolutely and i learned to not um <laughs> to take stuff seriously. Honestly, that's what I learned. I still to not take uh, things seriously to, or to, to, to take, take it seriously. To take things. Yes. That's to an interesting. That's an interesting finding because usually people, when they learn something, they're like, "I learned not to take that so seriously." But oh, you're like, no. "I've learned to take it." Yes, I, I I came from from the bottom, and I just had to make my way up to taking stuff seriously. And to the top. You, yeah. You're you're like to, all about all Drake. You're all all exactly. about Drake. So. Uh, Toronto, where Drake is from, you may have heard of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, center of the universe. Have you experienced failures in science? If you have, you're certainly not alone, as you can hear from <laughs> Simon and I. What did you learn from them? That's what we're really interested in. And how do you pass on these experiences to people you mentor so that they can look at failure as a learning opportunity or a place for growth? Tweet us at D-Y-E-S underscore podcast. On our next episode, science and the feds, the growing partnership between the federal government and scientists.